It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday to you all. Had a question asked me, what do I know about BYU training camp? It's more of what do I think I know. That's a very dangerous place to be, but let's have some fun on a Friday. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Thank you to all of you who are everydayers with us right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. By way of introduction, this is your original daily podcast focused on all things BYU, available wherever you get your podcasts, also available on YouTube every single day. Big thank you to all of you, as always, for all of your support of this venture. All right, it's a Friday. We do our mailbag here on Friday, and uh, I got a question sent to me via email from, uh, came from Kylie, and that was the interesting question that came in. That's what I kind of teased ahead. And she asked me this question. She said, Jake, you're talking a lot about training camp, what you've observed, what you're learning, people you're talking to. Uh, she, the question, though, she, she posed, let me pull this up right here, says, what are the three biggest things you feel like you have either established or learned in training camp? That's a fantastic question because, as I said, uh, knowing versus uh, what I think I know are two very different things. But the three things, as I thought about that question, that I feel like I'm most confident in saying about BYU right now is I think this BYU offensive line, number one, is absolutely legit. Now, obviously, you lose guys like Harris LeChance, the Barrington brothers off of last year's squad, along with Blake Freeland, who went in the NFL draft. You lose four potential starting offensive linemen, and anybody's going to look at that and say, okay, how good can these guys really be? Speaking of the offensive line. Well, you return a guy who's a potential first-round pick, and oh, by the way, uh, Kingsley Sulmatia, number three, as we talked about earlier this week, on Bruce Feldman's alt, uh, freaks list for 2023. Kid's an absolute star in the making. You have Connor Pay, who's going to start it somewhere along that offensive line, whether it's center or guard. He's starting. So you have two guys that are the nice foundation to build your offensive line around. Then BYU went out to many of our surprises, my, myself included, and brought in a number of guys via the transfer portal for that offensive line. You brought in a 13-game starter at Oklahoma State in Caleb Etienne. He looks like he's a plug-and-play guy at right tackle, and if it doesn't work out at right tackle, you slot him inside probably at right guard. You also brought in a high-level FCS transfer in Ian Fitzgerald. You brought a guy in who had a fantastic uh, freshman year starting and getting thousands of reps in uh, Waylon Lapuaho up at Utah State, who's probably going to come in and play right away. Jake Eichhorn was a revelation at, at Weber State, and I think a guy that's maybe not going to start this year and probably is a little further down the depth chart right now, but likely could be a future starter for BYU on their offensive line. There is talent up and down this roster for BYU offensive line-wise, and I haven't even broken in to talking about some of the guys who are the quote-unquote high school or home to, homegrown talent. That's the thing about this. This offensive line 
looks every bit the part. Guys like Braden Kime, who's a former walk-on, who's developed himself into a, a potential starter at right tackle. There's a very real possibility that BYU could start Kingsley Suomatia at left tackle, along with Waylon Lapuaho at left guard, put Connor Pay at center, and then you could have two guys, a wall of six foot nine giants on your right side with a combination of, let's say, a Caleb Etienne, uh, Braden Kime, and the one guy I forgot to mention, I meant mention him as part of the transfer guys is Simi Mawala. Simi Mawala is a former all-conference performer for the University of Utah and no matter how much you may want to denigrate or downplay what Utah's done, their offensive lines have been sensational uh, during the last few years and he was a really, really nice player for Utah before deciding to leave the program for various reasons. So BYU has got a ton of talent on that offensive line and all that really means to me and what I know about it is it should yield itself to better run game for BYU offensively, more time in the pocket and a cleaner pocket for Keaton Slovis to operate out of because he is a guy that unlike Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall he very much thrives better in a pocket format making his throws from the safety of that pocket versus freelancing which is one of the strengths I feel like of a guy like a Zach Wilson or a Jaron Hall. I'm not saying that Keaton can't get out of the pocket and make plays. He can do that but his best work in his career if you go back and watch it has traditionally been when he's able to sit back in that pocket he's got protection all around him and he's just slinging darts all over the field. So I feel like the offensive line is something I think is going to be an absolute uh, incredible unit for BYU this year. Now, could I be dead wrong about that? Absolutely. I I thought they were going to be very good last year, and it did not pan out that way. They actually were pretty poor uh, compared to what I expected from BYU's offensive line. But like I said, that, that comes from me observing with my own eyes, doing research, talking with people who are more in the know about this when it comes to offensive line. Number one, I feel like the offensive line is going to be that quote-unquote tip of the spear. Jeff Grimes, the former BYU offensive coordinator, talked about it all the time. He wanted his offensive lines to lead the way for his offense. I think BYU's this year absolutely could lead the way, and that's not to say anything other, uh, anything of the talent in the quote-unquote skill positions around them. I just feel like this O-line is absolutely ready to rock and roll, and whoever the starting five combo is, and by the way, Paul Miley's in that mix to start at guard or center, and I had somebody tell me inside the BYU football program that Paul Miley, despite being a little diminutive at, at six foot two and just about a shade under 300 pounds compared to the rest of his teammates who were giants relatively, 6'5", 6'6", 6'8", 6'9", you guys get the drift. Well, he, I was told by somebody who is very much in the know on this, that Paul Miley might be the most violent offensive lineman in that entire unit. That's what he thrives on as a guy who's not necessarily the biggest or most physically gifted offensive lineman. His violence sets him apart. And that's, I know that that's a kind of a term that can uh, turn some people off. But keep an eye on this O-line. They absolutely look and operate and sure sound like they're going to be one of the strongest, if not the strongest unit top to bottom for BYU this season. And I, for one, cannot wait to see them operate. Now, I know the O-line, it's not sexy. It doesn't necessarily draw eyeballs all that easily. They really do toil in anonymity out there. But keep an eye on the O-line for BYU. I really Really like that unit. Number two thing I feel like I know. I think BYU's defensive line is going to be better than most are giving it credit for. Now, are they going to be world beaters? Are they going to be guys who go out there and collapse the pocket down after down and make life miserable for opposing quarterbacks? No, I'm not saying that they're going to do that. But I do think that the additions of guys like Jackson Cravens, David Latu, as well as Isaiah Banya, who came in uh, either the transfer portal or junior college route, those are guys 
I think you absolutely can rely upon. That also adds, I think, the unlocking of a guy like Tyler Batty in this new format, BYU's running defensively. Uh, there, we've seen four three alignments. We've seen a nickel alignment. We were out of practice the other day, and BYU went with more of a hybrid. I'd say that it was like a three-down lineman alignment, but it had a stand-up edge pass rusher to create a fourth lineman, or at least the illusion of it, along the offensive line. There are going to be multiple in their looks along that defensive line, but I think the skills and the just the overall scheme that Jay Hill is putting in for BYU are going to allow guys along that defensive line to make more plays, and thereby I I expect a better product defensively simply due to the fact it's going to unlock guys' natural abilities. A guy like Tyler Batty, two-gapping like he was for the past two or three years in BYU's defense, is just a, it, it's a crime against humanity. It, he is a guy who's a born-and-bred pass rusher, and you neutered his ability to go out there and do what he's best capable of doing. Guys like Atunai Samahe and Caden Haas, they're not the, the man-eaters that Kairos Tonga was. They're guys who need to slash and kind of just uh, drive through the line and try to make plays in the backfield. Yes, can they hold up against double teams at times? Yes, but that's not their chief skill set. They're better slashing and going one-on-one with guys and winning those assignments and making plays in the backfield. That's why I think this defensive line is going to be a better product for BYU this year. And I know I'm talking a lot about the trend here, but Kalani Sitake has made it a part of his core focus as a head coach at BYU to make sure that he wins in the trenches at all costs. You guys can go back to 2021, the, the monumental upset or the, the end of the streak beating Utah. Kyle Whittingham said, they beat us in the trenches on both sides of the ball today, and coming into this game, I would have never guessed that was going to happen. That is a badge of honor coming from a guy who knows good offensive and defensive line play is a key to the success that he has had. Speaking of Kyle Whittingham, the former Cougar himself. When he said that, I was, I've, I'm Kalani Sitaka. I'd be plastering out everywhere when I was recruiting people. You got to win up front. You got to win in the offensive and defensive line. I do think BYU's offensive line is far and away the better unit top to bottom than BYU's defensive line is, but I don't think the defensive line is going to be just as, it's not going to be the pushovers that they were a year ago. And we're going to talk about one of the games they got pushed over in here in just a minute as we continue our look back at all of BYU's games in independence, but I do think the defensive line for BYU is going to be better than I think many of us, and I, trust me, I went into the offseason thinking they got to have some massive upgrades. Did they upgrade it? Yes, they brought in talent, but I do think that some of the holdovers there are going to be better in this scheme that Jay Hill is implementing and I expect a better product defensively along that defensive front. Uh, Third thing, I feel like I know about BYU in training camp. I feel like BYU is buying into the how do I say this? The the underdog or the, the we don't get any respect card. And it's not a bad place to be. It, it, it's actually a really good spot to be in because BYU has picked 11th in the Big 12 Conference. I've said it once. I'll say it again on this podcast. I think that 6-6 six and six is the goal this year for BYU in my mind. You get to bowl eligibility. I think that is a solid season for BYU. Could they get to 7-5? and five? Could they get to 8-4? and four? Sure, if the ball bounces their way and this offense is as good as some people say it might be and the defense has an improved product, I could see them topping out at maybe as high as 9-3, and three, but it's going to take a lot of luck, it feels like, for all that to go down. I just think if you get to bowl eligibility, you're one in the Big 12 when you were picked in the bottom tier of the conference, I think that would be a pretty massive accomplishment for the Cougars as they start out the Power 5 era. There are a lot of other fan bases out there that want nothing more than to denigrate BYU and say they just they can't hack it. They, they, they've, they've lived on uh, their, some of their big wins in independence, but they can't hack it against the Power 5 schedule. 
I think that BYU is fully intent on proving that they absolutely can hang. They brought in a number of Power 5 level transfers, understanding that those guys have the experience at this level and can help us navigate some of the pitfalls that may otherwise fall into their path. Guys like Keaton Slovis have never played a non-Power 5 game. That's the other thing. Not a non-Power 5 game. They've always been Power 5 athletes, I guess is what I should say. They have played games against non-Power 5 opposition. Paul Miley, Simi Mawala. Like you look at the transfers BYU brought in. I think all of them, not all of them are obviously Power 5 transfers, but they've got Power 5 ability, and they are looking forward to proving themselves at the highest level. Look at A.J. Vong Pachon. Look at Jackson Cravens. Isaiah Banya, Eddie Heckard, Camden Garrett. On down the list, the guys who may not be those Power 5 transfers, but they're G5 or FCS transfers, they came to BYU to prove that they can play at the highest levels of college football on their way to living their dreams, hopefully, in the NFL. And I wish them all nothing but the best. But I do feel like BYU is really kind of playing up, hey, we're the underdog. People don't believe in you. Go out there and prove them wrong. And I I wholeheartedly endorse that mentality for BYU to take this year because I think it can go a long way to building a, a sense of unity amongst this team. Go out and, quote, shock the world. Prove everybody wrong. The, the world's again. Buy into that mentality. And I, I'm not saying that Kalani Satake every day is telling these guys how bad they are and how bad people think they are. I just feel like that there is a feeling inside the program that BYU is just saying, you know what? Okay. You know what? If, if you think that's that's all we're good for, so be it. We'll go out there and show you what we're really capable of doing. And I cannot wait to see how it all goes down. Uh, that, those are, so those are three things. Hopefully that answers your question, Kylie. But uh, maybe you're looking for players I'm looking at individually. If you want to have three players, I think that have been very, very good in training camp. I'm not breaking any news with these guys. Isaiah Glasker at linebacker looks very much the part. He looks like, uh, I, I say, like an Alani Fua type player for BYU, maybe even a little bit better than that. Alani was a fantastic player. He played in the NFL. But Isaiah Glasker looks the part. His running mate at linebacker, A.J. Vongpachan, really, really, impressive. Looks every bit the part that he, every bit the star he was at Utah State. I think he's going to be an absolute uh, stud for BYU. And then I'm going to give a tie at wide receiver. Darius Lasser and Keelan Marion. Those dudes make plays. Those are very very good football players, so keep an eye on them. I think they're going to be fan favorites because they're going to make some plays this year for BYU uh, and they're going to be guys that are going to become household names. Let's think about this. They're going to be guys that BYU fans are going to get to know the names. Very very quickly. All right. Uh, that was a very long first answer to a very good question, first off. But we'll get to more answers of the different questions that were sent in this week and also some that came in last week But because Twitter seems to be just finicky, I, I guess is the kindest way I can put it. We'll get to some of the questions I did not get to on last week's edition of the mailbag. We'll get to all that as we continue on right here. Unlocked on Cougars. Real quick, a first a word first on our friends over at eBay Motors. For our championship team, it's all about making every player is a, making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. You need, every part needs to fit just right to make sure everything's running smoothly. So next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure that every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check mark to know that part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from. You'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com right now, my friends. Let's ride. Just a little bit of a PSA. eBay guarantee fit available only to United States customers. Eligible items only and exclusions apply. 
NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars a part of your day. Thank you for being everydayers with us here on the podcast. Hope you guys have a fun weekend planned upcoming. If any news breaks over the weekend, we'll probably do a special edition or two. I've been doing some of these shorter form uh, podcasts as well. May try and crank a couple of those out over the weekend. But coming up on Monday's edition of the podcast, a recap of BYU's second scrimmage, potentially their final scrimmage. We'll see how things shake out. They do have one more scrimmage uh, scheduled beyond Saturday. Uh, there are a number of high-level Cougar Club members. I, I had this wrong. So last week I said, the Cougar Club was allowed to go to last week's scrimmage. Apparently, it was very, very locked down. Uh, some uh, that I was I had it wrong, uh, and what I was told is that the Cougar Club scrimmage is tomorrow out at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. So if you are a high-level Cougar Club member who wants to fill me in on whatever happens in the scrimmage because the media doesn't get access, love to hear from you guys. Reach out. And, of course, we'll do a recap of that on Monday. Have a lot of good interviews still locked up in the vault. We'll be producing for you and getting out to you guys as well as we get closer and closer to the start of the BYU football season. It's here, folks. I'm calling high school football game tonight. I'm going to be out calling Sky Ridge at East. Sky Ridge has got five or six guys who BYU's after in the recruiting sphere. So uh, probably have an interview or two from those guys as well post-game. So uh, just be with us every single day. Uh, that's the best part about this podcast is it's daily BYU content. I appreciate all of you guys uh, being a part of this. All right, a couple of questions that came in last week because uh, when I, I put out the question on Twitter last week, I answered about half the questions that ultimately came through, and for whatever reason, Twitter like hid half of the replies to that tweet. So I'm going to answer the questions as far as I remember, the ones that I did not answer last week. So first one. Michael Christensen and Elko Cougar, do you anticipate this reloaded BYU offense to be better than last season's or take a step back? I think I answered that question earlier this week because, I, like I said, I had a conversation with people inside the BYU football program. They feel like this BYU offense is ready to rock and roll. Now, does that mean that it could be bluster and that they're trying to pump themselves up in their own minds? Yeah, that absolutely could be the case. But the people I've talked to about this, they really feel like BYU's offense really did reload. It's not a rebuild. It's absolutely a reload. And they feel like they may even be better. And Aaron Roderick said it himself on the record. We have upgraded our talent and I think the depth, most particularly at every position group, is what he said on the record earlier this week on Tuesday. So uh, there is confidence that this BYU offense could be better than last season's. But uh, it's going to have to go out there and prove it, obviously. And there's been some pretty good offenses over the last two and three years for BYU. Go back to that 2020 season. That's kind of the A standard for BYU when it comes to offensive production. We'll see. YouTube Blue at SC Price UTP says, What's the latest on the JCD lineman that committed to join the program? Why does it take so long with admittance from the administration at BYU? The way I understand this is that David Latu is finally suiting up for BYU. The other two that I'm still wondering about are Stone Mulatalo as well as John Tamway Payao. They're the other two uh, JC transfers from Snow College. I don't know their status, but the way I understand it, it was actually more about the NCAA clearinghouse clearing David Latu. Now, the clearinghouse, they obviously go through your transcripts and everything. This is not necessarily a BYU issue. There may have been a holdup on BYU you side of things, but as I, as I understand it for David Latu, it was about getting the NCAA clearinghouse to get him uh, saying, hey, you're good to go. Once that happened, he was taking the field and going through the acclimatization period that BYU and the NCAA man- 
mandates over five days. And now he's been a full participant in practice, I think, for uh, most of this week. So the good news is that they're getting on the field. So hopefully you'll see David Law to start to see an uptick in his availability and obviously his production because BYU needs a guy like him on the interior of that defensive line. Uh, next one, Derek Paulson, a D underscore Ford underscore P says, does Mason Wake moving on change the way the offense uses the fullback or is there a like for light replacement on the roster? I talked about this a little earlier this week on the podcast as well. BYU is very confident that maybe they don't necessarily have a, like I said, a like-for-like replacement, like one-for-one replacing Mason Wake. But between Mason Fakahua as well as Ray Paulo, BYU feels very confident that those two are going to be able to fill that role adequately for BYU. Could that be, uh, that, like once again, them they're kind of making these guys feel good about themselves? Sure, but what I've seen from my own, from my perspective with my own eyes during practice is both of them kind of do the same thing that uh, Mason Wake was doing. The ability to catch out of the backfield, to put uh, punishing blocks on linebackers and defensive linemen in the run game. They've got that ability, and one person inside the program told me that they feel like those two players are actually better athletes overall than Mason was. I don't mean that as a bad thing towards Mason because, remember, that dude could absolutely leap over anybody at 250, 260 pounds. So very impressive stuff. But if these two guys, speaking of Mason Fakahua and or Ray Paulo are better athletes, that's saying something. I, I do think that they'll be able to replace that production, at least on paper, uh, going into the season. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, another question here. I pa- oh, yeah, Jason W. Kelly, Jason K. Redline. How do you really feel about Slovis? I have just no feel for this guy. Seems really a genuine good guy, though. Uh, that's really kind of my my tell on it. I've had multiple conversations with Keaton, both on and off the record throughout this offseason, and he's just a likable dude. He, he's really down to earth, a guy who really uh, wants to go out and prove himself at the highest level, and that's his opportunity here at BYU. He's got one year to get it right. This is not him coming and thinking, I'm going to build towards something. He's got 12, maybe 13 games to go out there and show what he's capable of doing. Is he going to win every game with BYU? No. I I think he understands that, but he expects to go out and put a good product on the field, and if he succeeds in doing that, that's absolutely a big win for the BYU offense, because that means they're going to have high-level quarterback play for the third straight year in a row, uh, fourth straight year in a row, I guess the last two Quarterbacks went to the NFL, and the hope is that Keaton Slovis will follow that path and make his own way to the pro game. So uh, I do get a feel that he is just a genuinely good guy, but he's got a very, very big arm and the ability to make throws that normal people like ourselves just aren't capable of doing, Jason. So uh, I really do like him. He comes off, and like I said, it it's really doesn't seem like a facade. It just it, He's a really, really down-to-earth guy, gets along really, really well with his teammates, has ingratiated himself with those guys. He is a very, very fun dude to be around, and apparently quite a golfer as well. All right, uh, final ones here uh, com- coming in. Oh, River Koo asked a great question. This is actually a new one for this week. He says, BYU's done really well with a, sh- a realignment shakeout and is getting a huge bump in conference potential with the addition of Utah. This will be the top-rated rivalry in the Big 12. No doubt on that point, uh, B- River Koo. Yes, this, though. My question is this. Now that BYU and Utah are seen as conference peers and will play year in and year out as God intended, as he puts in quotes, what will BYU do to level the recruiting playing field against Utah and make this rivalry a toss-up each year in Vegas terms? That is a fantastic question, River Coog. Biggest thing I think BYU can do to level the playing field recruiting is just to give it time. Obviously, you need to go out and prove it on the field, and BYU is still going to be a unique place to recruit to. The honor code, the academic uh, side of things, the rigors that it entails, the just the culture around Provo, it takes some getting used to for guys, and you're going to have to go out and sell what you have, but the best thing you can do to sell yourself to any potential recruit is to go out and win 
football games. Win, 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 win. Winning cures a lot of ills, folks. And if BYU continues to win at a pretty pretty impressive clip, and by the way, has an upgrade in terms of the overall recruiting prowess of their coaching staff, like I said, I I really liked the guys on BYU's former defensive staff, Elisa Tuiaki, Ed Lamb, on down the list, to a man. Really enjoyable guys to be around, uh, but they did not want to go out and put the time in recruiting. I can tell you this much. Jay Hill, he puts the time in and some. All the guys on this staff, Justin Anna, Sione Bua, uh, Kelly Papinga, General Guilford was always getting it done. That's why he's still at BYU. Uh, that staff, and the offense staff has always really kind of done their thing. Aaron Roderick, Steve Clark, they, they all do their do their work in the recruiting sphere. But this new staff defensively, they're going to get after it. And that's the thing about this. You, you put effort on the recruiting front, that can make a, a big difference. That that alone, I think, can make some changes. But it, it's going to take some time. That's just simply you got to win and you got to continue to sell yourself as hard as you can and hopefully win some of those recruiting battles and hopefully it pays off down the line. It, it, that, I, I don't mean to simplify it that much because uh, it, it seems to be a little more nuanced than that, but it's really not. You just got to go out and sell yourselves. And winning, you prove that you are a winning program. You get BYU looking like they're cool once again. That could do a lot for BYU in terms of, like you said, leveling that playing field. All right, uh, let's see here. I think we got all the questions for this week. So apologies if I did not get to your question this week. Uh, but uh, it's always fun to have you guys weighing in on everything that you guys are wondering about. And obviously, I appreciate all your guys' questions. Uh, there was a comment that came in, and I want to get to that. Uh, the uh, call it the comment or question of the day, a daily thing here on the podcast. It was a comment that came in uh, via YouTube that I actually think I need to acknowledge from yesterday's podcast and talk a little bit about, and we'll get to that here in just a moment. Now, a word real quick on our friends over at UCCU. They have what they're calling Learn and Earn, the UCCU mobile banking app that is paying your entire family to learn about money. Of course, kids look to parents to become financially literate, and parents don't always know the answers. I admit I am that way. Learn and Earn helps break down the financial topics that everyone wants to know about into fun, bite-sized educational games like quizzes and trivia. Every time a family member completes a topic, they earn points that accrue and can be redeemed for gift cards to stores like Amazon, Apple, Sephora, Walmart, Nike, and many, many more. There's age-appropriate content for every member of the family who can compete against one another and track their progress on leaderboards as well. Learner is available inside the UCCU mobile banking app, so play at any time, anywhere. The more you play, the more you learn, and the more you learn, the more you earn, my friends. Learn and Earn, part of UCCU's award-winning Be Money Smart app youth banking program. Uh, it helps kids, teens, and parents all have fun while becoming more financially literate and it's all courtesy of UCCU and they wanted you to do this together once again that's UCCU love where you bank Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere especially during March your eyes are on the road but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket their sudden braking puts you in a 16 car pileup that's anything but sweet and if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket so switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars a part of your routine here on a Friday, folks. Like I said, I hope you have a fantastic weekend scheduled. I uh, hope you guys are all doing well out there. Football's 
here. It's almost here. It's coming quick. But uh, there is some news on the BYU basketball front. But before we get to that, I talked yesterday and I crowed on and on about the Pac-12 and uh, Big 12, their successes versus the ineptitude of the, of the Pac-12. Uh, very interesting dichotomy of responses to that podcast. And trust me, I appreciate all the responses. I really do. Uh, but the question or the comment that came in via YouTube that I was wanted to talk about came in via Matthew Tolman. It says that the pack was destroyed from within by the school presidents. Now the same school presidents are in the Big 12. Oh, well, I'm sure the Big 12 will be just fine. That is a very valid point because there are four members of the Pac-12, those presidents and university chancellors, who by all accounts really did destroy that program, destroy that conference from the inside uh, that are going to be members of the Big 12. One of them that I'm very worried about is Michael Crow. He went, He did like this thing talking about like how Apple TV Plus works. Michael, Dr. Crow. We know how Apple TV works. If you don't know how to Apple TV in a streaming package works, okay, you're a boomer like that dude is. But, yes, there is the concern that four members of that Pac-12 advisor, what do we call them, the President's Committee, whatever you call them, Executive Committee, I think that's what they were called, are coming over to the Big 12 that it could affect BYU and the rest of the Big 12. Yes, there is that theory. But the thing is, those are four presidents versus 12 others. So, there are 16 of them now. The 12 seem to be pretty unified in what they're looking at with the Big 12. I'm assuming those other four coming into the conference are going to work in lockstep with uh, these with these other 12 university presidents and chancellors. Because if they don't, they risk being ostracized within their own group there. They are the 16 power uh, players. They obviously have a guy like Brett Yormark who is giving them all kinds of ideas. He ultimately answers to them, and they vote on the initiatives and the proposals he brings their way. But I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm saying that I think the 12 that are in the conference, including BYU, are going to tell the other four, get in line and get on board with what we're doing. They're not going to let Dr. Crow, who seemed to be the, the kingmaker, he was such a staunch advocate for Larry uh, Scott and the Pac-12 for so many years, he's going to have to get on board or get out of the way. That's the, that's the way it feels with these new presidents coming in. Now, I will say that I think that uh, both Colorado and Arizona's presidents, Robert Robbins and Phil DeStefano, they feel like guys who understand what the Big 12's doing. The other two, like I said, who I'm a little bit out on, the jury's out on them, are Taylor Randall at Utah and most particularly Dr. Michael Crow down there at Arizona State. We'll see. But it was a very valid uh, comment, and I appreciate you weighing in, Matthew Tolman, because there is there should be that concern. I probably should acknowledge that part of it when I was going on and on about that. All right, uh, on to other news real quick. Congratulations to BYU Women's Soccer. They opened their season. The first official, by the way, first official Big 12 event is in the books in BYU athletics history. Last night, BYU women uh, women's soccer ranked number 13 in the country hosted number 21 ranked St. Louis. BYU won, won that contest 3-2 improving to 9-0-2 all time in their season openers on their home turf at Southfield. Jennifer Rockwood is an absolute legend in the making. She is absolutely incredible at what she does and BYU women's soccer uh, celebrates a win. Obviously, they're back in action tomorrow night uh, as they take on Cal State Fullerton. They're funny enough, they actually opened their season against Cal State Fullerton the Titans last year. That'll be a 7 o'clock start out at Southfield. If you want to watch it, it's on ESPN Plus, or you can go out to Southfield, get your tickets. Uh, go to BYUtickets.com and watch that. Also tomorrow, just on the BYU schedule, is BYU Women's Volleyball. They are having their blue and white scrimmage tomorrow at 1 o'clock Mountain Time inside the Smith Fieldhouse. Uh, so those are the two things in terms of your weekend ahead for BYU sports. It's starting to ramp up, folks. Football's not far off. Uh, we're going to have a cross country, uh, men's and women's golf. Uh, the fall sports are starting. 
get ready. It should be a fun season ahead. And like I said, the first official BYU athletics contest in the Big 12 is in the books, and BYU comes out on top with a win over St. Louis. Hopefully BYU can make it 2-0 on the weekend tomorrow night against the Titans out of Cal State Fullerton. BYU men's basketball is headed uh, overseas. They're headed to Croatia and Italy. Uh, They are headed out today. They will return on August 28th. They're actually headed to Zagreb, Croatia, which is the home, uh, I guess the birthplace, the home of Kreshmer Chosic. They're going to play in the the stadium, the arena that's named after him. It's going to be really, it's going to be Zadar, Croatia. Excuse me, I apologize. Uh, Zadar or Zadar, Croatia. It's where uh, Kresmer, Kosh- Kresmer Chosic was from, former Cougar legend and All-American ranked second in BYU, an all-time re- rebounding list with 919 rebounds while recording a team high, 40 se- a team record 47 double-doubles during his legendary career as a Cougar. Obviously, uh, it's going to be a really fun trip for BYU getting an opportunity to play games. They have had nine straight days of two-a-day practices getting ready for this. It- it's going to be an- a fun trip. Hopefully, BYU can figure some things out. and Maybe they can bring back a player or two with them because uh, they have two open scholarships. Now, that's being a little facetious there, but uh, looking forward to that. Uh, the team is going to participate in a basketball clinic at the Kreshmer Chosic Hall, where Kreshmer Chosic grew up and played against four-time Croatian league champions KK Zadar. Uh, they will continue that tour two days uh, in split before their fourth and final game uh, of the trip. Being before the two days in is it Dubrovnik before returning to Utah late on August 27th. So, uh, four games in all uh, for BYU on this trip, August 19th, 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. The way I understand is if you happen to be going overseas and you want to follow them along, you probably can get some tickets and go watch BYU, but you have to make some really quick travel plans to get overseas if you're going to do that. Also, BYU basketball did release their uh, non-conference schedule. Nine of the 13 non-conference games for the men's basketball program will be played inside the Marriott Center. Uh, they're going to play four straight to open the season against Houston Christian, San Diego State, Southeastern Louisiana, and Morgan State before they head to the Vegas Showdown uh, Thanksgiving uh, weekend uh, for two games down there. They return home to uh, take on Fresno State. Oh, excuse me, Fresno State will be up at, uh, at the Delta Center, excuse me, in Salt Lake City. Then they return home to host Evansville. The only true road game is on December 9th when BYU faces off against their arch rival Utah. And then they finish out their non-conference state with four straight home games against Denver, Georgia State, Bellarmine, as well as Wyoming. The Cowboys um, coming back to the Marriott Center for the first time in a long time. So I think it's going to be a fun schedule for BYU to go up against. They should pile up a bunch of wins in the non-conference and obviously with how good the Big 12 is as a basketball conference, piling up wins in the non-conference is going to be very imperative uh, to BYU's chances in uh, the in, in just in terms of uh, postseason hopes. All right. Uh, we are over time, but let's get this in real quick. Uh, we are looking back at all 155 games of BYU's independent run. And in 2022, many of you might recall, they did. Uh, we talked yesterday about getting those wins, kind of grinding out victories over Utah State and Wyoming. And then they had a big showdown after nine days off uh, to face off against Notre Dame. Now, this was a return game quote-unquote, for BYU. They were owed a return game against the Fighting Irish. They finally came to an agreement to play this game in Las Vegas. BYU is 4-1, and one, ranked number 16 in the country coming into this one. Notre Dame was 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Wasn't off to the greatest start of their season, but BYU had a huge issue at quarterback. Jaron Hall had gotten beaten up against Utah State, took some shots, had a bruised rib, had a, had a uh, shoulder that just... He should not have been playing in this game against Notre Dame. But the and the thing about this is BYU, uh, I think they evaluated all their options. Cade Fennigan, Jacob Conover, Nick Billups, Soljay Myava Peters. 
didn't feel confident that any of them could go out there and help BYU get a victory in this game. And they ultimately did not win the game. We all remember this. They lost this game 28-20. to uh, Some chances late in this one, despite the uh, lackluster performance from a guy like Jaron Hall. They still had their chances in this game, but ultimately fell 28-20. to uh, And I think the biggest indication of BYU's Darth of quarterback talent behind Jaron Hall last year, and the reason why they went to the transfer portal to bring in guys like Jake, Jake Retzloff this offseason, alongside Keaton Slovis, is because as you might have heard, Drew Pine got injured down at Arizona State. He is uh, the guy, funny enough, there's connections between these two things. Drew Pine was a starting quarterback who led Notre Dame to this win over uh, BYU. Drew Pine then transferred from Notre Dame in the offseason, actually visited BYU as he was looking for a new school, ultimately landed Arizona State, and now he has a hamstring tear that could keep him out an indefinite period of time. The question is, well, okay, Jacob Conover transferred from BYU looking for more playing time and headed to his hometown team uh, down there at Arizona State. Well, this comes from Arizona Sports down there. The the injury to Drew Pine leaves incumbent Trenton Bourget and freshman Jaden Rashada competing for the job as BYU transfer Jacob Conover has seemingly fallen out of the race. Do I need to say anything more? It just BYU did not feel like they had an option outside of Jaron Hall in this game. So they shot him up, uh, got him feeling like, okay, this shoulder, it may not be 100%. It was, clearly wasn't 100%. You're going to have to battle through it. Uh, Jaron ended up 9-17, 120 yards, two touchdowns against one interception. Christopher Brooks, 14 carries, 90 yards. BYU as a team ran for 160 yards. Pretty respectable stats, all things considered, for BYU. But I will never forgive BYU's defensive uh, philosophy in this game for letting the best player I say this I say this seriously Michael Mayer uh fantastic talent. Uh, they called him Baby Gronk for a time at Notre Dame. A uh, guy who's in the NFL now. BYU's whole defensive philosophy, it felt like in this game, I don't know this for certain, but I was at that game watching this happen and for whatever reason, BYU said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to try and shut down everybody else on Notre Dame, but we're going to let the best player on the field, Michael Mayer, he's going to be the guy we're going to let do his thing. That was a bad idea. 11 receptions, 118 yards, and two touchdowns later, BYU loses that game 28-20. to Like I said, I don't know that that was the defensive philosophy, but just perception-wise, it looked like BYU said, you know what, we'll let everybody else go off. We're going to try and shut down everybody else, but we're, we're going to let Michael Mayer do his thing. Shut down Michael Mayer, you may have shut down Notre Dame in that game. Drew Pine was 22 of 28. Like I said, 11 of those receptions went to one guy in Michael Mayer. Audric Estime ran for 97 yards. Logan Diggs ran for 93. And Notre Dame ran for 234 yards, which also is crippling to BYU's chances in this game. But, man... What a, uh, what a disappointing end to a game that it felt like BYU had a chance on. Remember that game? They had that, uh, was it third and short for Notre Dame? That BYU needs to get a stop. They're down 28-20. to 20. There's some some belief that BYU may be coming back in this game in the fourth quarter, and then they just rip off this huge run for Notre Dame and end up uh, winning that game 28-20, to 20, getting out of there with the win. It, just, it was a really, really tough deal. Another thing about this is Michael Mayer in this game, uh, he became the program's all-time receptions leader for a tight end as they won their third straight, beating Notre Dame in that game. It was just it was a really, really tough loss for BYU to absorb. Uh, they improved to 11-0 all-time in the Shamrock Series games. There were 62,742 fans in attendance. I know a number of you were down at that game. I was there with my dad celebrating his birthday along with all my brothers and my brother-in-law. So it's fun to have all the, it was the hatchlings, as we call ourselves, all together. But really, 
really tough stuff. And Kalani Sitake said after the game, I don't think he was 100%. He definitely was banged up. Yes, he was, but you knew you couldn't win the game with anybody else quarterback-wise on that roster. And uh, tough scenes for BYU because then it started uh, a really, really rough October for BYU. And the worst of the bunch uh, we'll talk about on our Monday edition of the podcast. All right, I am way over time. So we're going to wrap it up here. A big thank you to all of you for joining us here on a Friday edition of the podcast. Had a lot of stuff to get through. Great questions, great interaction. Cannot say enough about how great you guys are out there in Cougar Nation. It, it means the world to me that you guys weigh in as much as you do. And a big thank you for all of your support. Thank you for making the podcast your first listen. Thank you to all of you who are everydayers with us as well. And rejoin us on Monday, if not before then, right here on the Locked On Cougars podcast. See ya. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.